I'm so glad you're here on this Christmas Sunday morning. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. Did you know that when, when Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, it's a unique opportunity, opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate not only the birth of our Savior, but the resurrection of our Savior, and therefore the crucifixion of our Savior. And here's what I mean. You remember the reason that Christians worship on Sunday in the first place. The ancient world, Sunday was the first day of the week. It still is on the calendar, technically. We think of Monday as the first day of the week because it's the first work day. But Sunday is the first day of the week. Jesus Christ rose from the grave on the first day of the week, Sunday. And the Christians switched their reverence for God, their worship, their Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, from the end of the week to the first day of the week to acknowledge that new life had come, that the resurrection had happened, that Christ had risen from the grave. So when we gather on Christmas Day, and it's a Sunday, and you're celebrating the birth of Christ, you're celebrating the work of God through Christ from the cross to the resurrection. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a good reason to worship on Christmas Day when it falls on a Sunday? I am glad you're here. We're going to ask and answer a question for a few minutes. Who is Jesus? Now, if you're a Christian, you probably think, well, I can answer that. Pretty, pretty simple. He's the baby born in the manger. He's uh, the crucified Savior. He's the risen Lord. We, we can answer that. He's my Savior, my God. Good for you. That's right. But it's really not that easy to answer. A question is asked pretty frequently. In fact, Life magazine has a special issue uh, that they, the, an edition they re, reissue every year about this time or around Easter, whenever it comes around, it's out on the shelves again. Now it has a picture, uh, a painting of the Lord on the front, and above it it has his name Jesus, and below that it asks the questions, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked, and that's a good question. In America, we're confused about that. Even among people who profess to be Christians, we're a little bit confused. A survey asked in 2021, all Americans, do you believe that Jesus Christ pre-existed Bethlehem? That is to say, in simple terms, was Jesus Christ God and did he exist before he became incarnate at Bethlehem? A whopping 69% of Americans said no. He is not pre-existent before Bethlehem. He's just a good man. God picked him out, he was righteous, but he was not himself God before Bethlehem. You see why we need to ask and answer that question? And I can't think of a better day to do it than today. Can you? Who is Jesus anyway? And part of the thing too is we, we sometimes as Christians, even those of us who believe God, that Jesus is God and always has been incarnated flesh at Bethlehem, which is biblical, as we'll see in a moment, Sometimes we still have a perpetually small view of Jesus. And it rolls around again at Christmas. He's that baby in the manger. Isn't that sweet? We sing about him. That's great. We love our depictions of him. Uh, but isn't it interesting that we have the nativity set up in our home and our depictions of Jesus as a baby, but how many of us alongside that have a depiction of the resurrection right beside it? Anybody? I, I don't. Why is that? Because I think sometimes our view of Jesus is perpetually small. He's the infant in the manger. It's good to celebrate Christmas. 
even better to ask and answer the question from a biblical perspective, who is Jesus? Who was that baby at Bethlehem? We're going to dig in just a little bit to a few passages of Scripture. You can look at these with me or look at them on the screen if you prefer this morning. Make note of them. Look at them up later if you like. But what we're going to see this morning is the consensus of Scripture, the consensus of the Bible is that yes, Jesus Christ is God and was God at Bethlehem and always has been God in human flesh when he walked the earth, now risen from the grave. What we will talk about this morning is unique to Christianity. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, we are the only faith that believes this, what we're about to talk about. But it's significant. It's mandatory for the Christian faith to understand this and to put our faith and hope in a living Christ who is God. So a few passages of scripture this morning as we ask and answer the question, who is Jesus? The angel to Mary. What a great place to start. Luke chapter 1 verse 31. The angel spoke to Mary and said, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And now we move forward to one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 1. The apostle himself is answering this question, who is Jesus, and answering it in a very confused world, a world confused by philosophies that deviated from the great truths of the Bible. And this is what he says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul says, Jesus, that is he, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. One more passage, Hebrews chapter 1. The great letter to the Hebrews opens with a declaration of who Jesus is and answering the question, who is Jesus? Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So how do we ask and answer that question? Who is Jesus. I want to pull out from these passages six basic truths this morning on this Christmas day to remind us who Jesus is and who he was at Bethlehem. This is the consensus of Scripture, of the Bible, and of Christian history. And it's the consensus of every Christian who says, yes, we follow Christ. Who is Jesus? First of all, Jesus is our holy God. 
He is our holy God. You'll remember he told the disciples one time, it's recorded in John chapter 14. He told them that if you know me, you know the Father. If you know me, you know God. In other words, to know Jesus is to know God, and to know God is to know Jesus. He made that connection himself as an adult. The angel said to Mary, he will be the Son of the Most High. And then she repeated, he will be the Son of God. God himself, Mary, will be in your womb. God himself will be your son. The Apostle Paul records it in a similar way. Uh, Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God. That God was pleased to have all the fullness of God dwell in Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews says that the Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. In other words, just like Jesus said, if you know Jesus, you know God. And if you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. That phrase, the exact representation or expression, as we read it, of his nature, uh, takes the image from the impress on a coin. If you have a coin in your purse or your pocket this morning, it's got the image of one of our presidents on it. Well, that image of the president came somewhere, and the same idea would happen in the Roman world. They would, put in, they would impress on a coin an image. And this phrase means that the image on the coin is an exact representation of the, what made the image on the coin. The, the two are identical. You can't separate them because you can't have the image if you don't have what made the image on the coin. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact expression, exact representation of, the, of God himself. Why? Because he is God. That's the only way to answer that question. Why? Because he is God. He is our holy God. Secondly, he is our majestic king. He is our majestic king. He is the one king that everyone waited for. The angel told Mary that her son would fulfill the throne of David, that everything would be fulfilled in him, that, that all rulers, all kings, would ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. And, and the truth is that, that he sits on the throne of heaven even now. He sits on the throne of the universe. He is the one true majestic king for all time. Don't be fooled thinking the baby in the manger is frail and has no power. That's a king you're looking at in the manger at Bethlehem. Mary was told that he would be great. This is an interesting phrase in the ancient language because many times in the Bible we are told that a person will be great in the sight of God or a person will be great for God. In fact, John the Baptist in the Gospels, it said of him, he would be great in the sight of God. But the phrase used of Jesus is a little bit different. It means that he is great in and of himself. Uh, he is not dependent on anyone else or anything else for his greatness. It's inherent in his nature and his character. He is the great king above all kings. There is no politician, no power, no sovereign on earth greater than Jesus Christ. He's our holy God. He's our majestic king. Third, he's our eternal creator. He's our eternal creator. We read in the Apostle Paul that he is firstborn over all creation. Some people mistakenly take this to mean that Christ was created first 
But in the ancient language, that's not what the, what, what the phrase means. The phrase applies to ownership. And he is, he is firstborn and therefore overseer of all creation. He is God's one and only son, as John 3.16 says. He, he is pre-existent the creation. So he is over all created. He has primacy over all things. So Paul clarifies it by saying, for him, by him, and through him, all things were created. The book of Hebrews echoes that through God, through him, God made the universe. So what does that mean? Through Christ, God the Father made the universe. Now remember, uh, the assumption here for believers in Christ is that we believe in what we refer to as a trinity. That is, God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is revealed and depicted throughout Scripture. It's an absolute truth, but Christians are the only ones that believe that. And by that, we believe that Jesus Christ is fully God while he was fully man. He didn't lose any of his deity while he was fully man. From a baby to a toddler to a teenager to a young adult to 33 years old when he died on the cross. He was fully God and fully man. This statement itself means that he pre-existed Bethlehem. He existed for all eternity and still does. And he was there at creation. And the Trinity would work something like this. It's a somewhat, maybe not the best illustration, but, but, but it helps me. And I think it'll help you too. Think of it this way. If creation were a construction project, the Heavenly Father is the architect, the administrator of creation. The Holy Spirit is the subcontractor. His job is to make sure all the pieces get there and get in place. But the Son of God is the agent of creation. We would call him the foreman of the construction project. It's through him and by him that all things are made. He didn't sit on the sidelines, neither did the Holy Spirit, neither did the Heavenly Father. Creation, what you experience, what you enjoy on this cold Christmas morning, was a partnership of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Son had his part. The agent of creation. Through him, by him, and listen to this, for him, all things were created. When the Heavenly Father crafted creation, he had the Son of God in mind. It was done for him. So he's our, he's our holy God. He's our majestic king. And he is our eternal creator. And number four, he's our constant sustainer. He's our constant sustainer. Uh, not only did he create as our eternal creator, he's the reason that we're here. Uh, this particular point crosses the bridge from the great work of God to your personal life in Christ. Here's what I mean. You've sang the song. If you haven't, you've heard it. He's got the whole world in his hands. You have no idea just how true that is. See, the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews both verify, listen to this, Paul puts it this way in verse 17, in him all things hold together. And the book of Hebrews, as we read, it says, the Son is sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know what that means? That means as if the Son of God decided to pull back, or if, more to the point, he were not God, or for some reason ceased to exist, you know what this means? We would cease to exist as well. The very fabric of the universe is held together by the presence and the powerful word of the Son of God. 
His might, his power in creation is what holds all things together. When I was in high school, well, well grade school, then in high school, and took science. I don't know about you, but in science classes, there, there was a, a model of the atom. You remember this? And it looked like colored ping pong balls on sticks. And maybe they still have that in classrooms. I don't know. They had that when I was growing up. And when I went off to college and took science, we saw something similar to that. But then I went into graduate school and I went, did some other studies. And instead of reading about the results of science and what scientists believe, I started reading about the background of science and how scientists think. And you know what I found out? I found out that that's speculation. Yeah, see, scientists actually have no idea what's holding the universe together. But when you take God out of the mix, you've got to have an answer. So they postulate that there is a smallest item in existence. And modern science didn't come up with that. The philosophers of the ancient world were the ones that came up with it. And they actually are the ones that came up with the word atom to reference that smallest item in the universe. But the truth is, nobody can really explain by science what holds the world together. We don't know why it doesn't just fly apart disintegrate, dissipate. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because the Son of God, our Savior, preexistent to Bethlehem, God himself, who came in human flesh, holds all things together, sustains it by his powerful word. Here's the bridge from that to you. He sustains you by his powerful word. When you're afraid, when you're frightened, when you wonder how you're going to hold it all together, you go to his powerful word. You go to your Savior. You go to your God. You reflect on Bethlehem and remember that that is your God and he came for you. Who is Jesus? He is your sustainer. He is your creator. He is your God. Fifth, he is our promised peacemaker. Our promised peacemaker. God promised long ago through the prophets that he would send one who would reconcile human beings to him. The angels sang about it that first Christmas night. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Why? Because wars didn't suddenly end. We know that. Wars go on today, correct? Conflict goes on today. You may have some conflict in your own household going on right now. It doesn't feel much like it's peace on earth at the moment, does it? You see, God understands that our biggest need, first and foremost, is not peace among men. It's peace with God. Jesus is the promised peacemaker to bring peace between us and our God. And only God could do that. No human being could do it. No king could do it. No politician could do it. No sovereign could do that. But God himself in human flesh could bring peace to us, between us and our God. Paul put it this way, God was pleased through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things and make peace through his blood. There's that first reference to the cross. That moment when we realize that Christ came, was born at Bethlehem to die on that cross so that we could be reconciled to our God. And we needed that reconciliation. And if you've not done that, you can do that today. I'm going to even offer you an opportunity to be reconciled to your God through Jesus Christ by trusting him as your Savior. He's the one and only God that came for you. And that brings us to number six. The sixth great truth, the consensus of Scripture, of history, and the Christian church. He is our loving Savior. He is our loving Savior. 
Your eternal creator came to earth because he loves you. It's really just that simple. And Paul writes it this way, that he paid the price on the cross for our sins. And when you confess him as your savior, when you acknowledge him as your Lord, when you recognize that he is your creator and your king, and trust him for your salvation, you meet your loving savior. All those first things could get us worrying just a little bit. Our holy God, but, but we're not holy. Our majestic king, but we're frail and fallible, weak and messy. How could he possibly care about us? Our eternal creator, why doesn't he just cast us aside? Why would, why would he sustain us that way and be our constant sustainer? This is why. Because he's your loving savior came into the world just for you. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope you'll do that. In just a minute, I want to help you do that on this Christmas day. And what a day that would be, wouldn't it? To put your faith and trust in Christ on Christmas day. There's another reason I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I want you to think about this just a minute. The next time Christmas day falls on a Sunday is 2033. 11 years. Now let that sink in just a minute. In 11 years, your infant will be 11 years old. Wow. In 11 years, your 5-year-old will be 16 years old. God help you. In 11 years, your teenager will have graduated high school, possibly gone off to college, gone off and gotten a job, gone off and gotten married. That teenager is going to be an adult. And where will you be in 11 years? What will you be doing in 11 years? Will you be here in 11 years? And look around you at the people of God around you. Will they be here in 11 years? Some of us will have moved on, gone to other places, families grown up, changed. Some of you will have grandkids. Kim and I are experiencing that joy. A lot's going to change in 11 years, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're here today? to celebrate Christmas on this Sunday morning. But even more than that, when we know how much our lives are going to change in two years, three years, one year, let alone 11 years, aren't you glad your God never changes? Aren't you glad that he is your loving Savior today and he will be tomorrow, the next day, and 11 years from now? And 11 years from now, if we're here together, and if I'm still making sense, I'm not making any promises. 2033, meet with the people of God on Sunday morning and praise your God who came for you at Bethlehem. And be glad he never changes. He's always your God and he loves you that much. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me just a moment. Bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're watching at home, do that as well, right where you are. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to pray with you this morning. First of all, you're in this room, and you know you're a believer in Christ. You know you are. You've trusted Christ as your Savior, no doubt in your heart. You're celebrating Jesus as your loving Savior on this Christmas day. I want to pray for you. I want to ask you, first of all, would this be a Christmas you would say, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I want to start fresh with Jesus today. 
It doesn't mean everything's wrong in your life or there's a lot of problems. It's just saying, you know what? I want to confess again. I want to commit to Christ today. Would you lift your hand up where you are? Nobody looking around. I just want to pray for you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. You put your hands down. Now, maybe you're in this room or you're at home and you would say, you know what? I really have some issues going on in my life. And I needed to be reminded of my Savior today, of who he is, of his power and his love for me. I want to pray for you today as well. Would you lift your hand up where you are, here or at home? Just lift your hand up. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Hands down. Now, one more time. There's an unspoken prayer request. It's just on your heart this morning. You know what it is. God knows what it is. I want to pray for you. Lift your hand up where you are. Good. Hands down. Thank you so much. Now that was for all of us and especially those that would call yourselves Christians. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're at home this morning and you've never done that, but you realize today what God has done for you in Christ, that He is your God and He loves you so much. He came to Bethlehem, went to the cross, and He's alive today. After I pray for us, our needs, the things that we raised our hands for, I'm going to pray for you this morning. And I would ask that, that you pray this prayer of faith with me in just a few minutes to put your faith and trust in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pause on this Christmas day, God, praising you and thanking you, Father, for what you have done for us in Christ. And God, you have opened our eyes again and opened our hearts again to what it means, who Jesus really is, who he was and who he is now. We praise you for that. God, So for those here and at home who would say, I want to commit my life, recommit my life to Christ today, starting over, starting fresh, just starting anew in Christ. God, how I pray you would strengthen us in that commitment. Give us hope, give us anticipation, expectation, God, of what you're going to do in our lives, Father. And God, I pray as we leave 2022 and enter 2023, our lives would be a testimony to the great work of God in Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who just say, I'm going through some stuff. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard day. It's been a hard week. God, we lift up to you our burdens, our cares, our concern. We lift up those that we're worried about, those who are sick, those in need of healing, God. Those on our hearts, Father. For those who lifted up their hands, God, I pray for us. I pray, God, you would answer our prayers in keeping with your will and in your perfect timing. God, just as Bethlehem was the great surprise that it was to those who realized who Jesus is, I pray, Father, for us that you would surprise us by your grace and your power and your love. Sustain us by your powerful word if we're walking through hard times. Be with us, God, this Christmas day and as we go into the next year. Father, I pray our lives would be a testimony to the greatness of God as you sustain us, strengthen us, answer our prayers in keeping with your perfect will. And Father, there are unspoken prayer requests here and at home. Things on our hearts, God, we might not raise our hands about or tell other people about. We lift those up to you also. God, believing you, Father, for your great work in our lives, believing that your will is perfect, and God, believing that you love us even more than we could ever imagine. God, how we praise you and thank you in advance for your answers to these prayers. We commit them to you fresh and anew. All our burdens, all our problems, all our heartaches and all our victories, we commit those to you on this Christmas day. And Father, for that one or two in this room or at home that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, today, God, I pray this prayer. And Father, I pray for them that, that as you put that on their heart, give them that faith, give them that trust, God, in you, that they would trust Christ today as their Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And I know that I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And that you're alive today. You are my God. You are my God. So Jesus, I confess my sins to you. And repent of my sins. And put those in the past. And Jesus, I ask by faith you would come into my heart and into my life. That you would forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. That I would walk in Christ from this point forward. And Father, for all of us, I pray, God, for a new day ahead. Uh, Make streams in the desert for us today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.